So this uh, evening talk of the second, well, the first full day of our retreat, it's it's at that place where it's a bit of a surprising feeling for me and maybe I hope it is for some of you that to remember that we just began yesterday at two. <laughs> so if it feels like, oh yeah, wow, that's good. It means the system is slowing down and calming down and the day is feeling a fullness to it. So I hope that's the case for you. Uh, this uh, short talk before our New Year's celebration and practice is called um, Renunciation and Resolve. <clears throat> we've been we've been really practicing and turning our attention in this uh, today and began yesterday with with embodying, inviting, cultivating sukha, ease, peace, calm, joy, rest. And um, even though it's been a very, very short time, I hope that you are feeling some degree of that. in our bodies, in our hearts and our minds, our energy, all of these things that just need time, care, kind attention to rest, to relax, to slow down so that, not just for that, not just so we can be happier, <laughs> which is a good thing, but not just to be more at ease, more peaceful, restful, calm, uh, but actually so that then we can apply wisdom. Remember, this practice is samatha vipassana, calm, tranquility, and clear seeing. Seeing with wisdom, penetrating insight. And so we've also, um, in addition to talking about and practicing and cultivating sukha. We've been talking about dukkha. Stress, dissatisfaction, dis-ease, discontent, not getting what we want and not getting rid of what we don't want. Not being able to keep what we want. And uh, We've talked about how the Buddha awoke to this through a lot of uh, living of a life of extreme, extreme pleasure and delight and comfort and was still not finding true peace. And then the life of extreme hardship and uh, extreme aesthetic uh, I find that hard to say asceticism yes um, and near starvation and still not finding true freedom and peace and then recalling how 
this began to naturally arise for him when he um, nourished the body with kind attention and, and nourishing food and nourished his heart and mind with rest and peace, safety, ease under that, uh, under the tree in the shade and naturally collected attention arose and he um, began to taste the fruits of the path and this gave rise to his further um, continuation on the middle path, the Eightfold Path, and then Enlightenment. And uh, with his awakening, final awakening, he saw, realized, knew, and shared with us the understanding of Dukkha, what its cause is, and the path or the way to the ending of Dukkha. And the, and the cause of Dukkha is maybe not what we habitually think or what we usually think. Um, all of the external things, situations and people that aren't how we want them to be. That's why I'm stressed. It's because everything's like that and they're like that. And I'm like this. And if it wasn't that way, then I'd be happy. Not really. The cause of dukkha is craving. It's tanha in Pali, T-A-N-H-A, -A, craving, which is described as this thirst. The fever of unsatisfied longing is how it's defined. This being so thirsty that you have a fever for this deep wanting, either wanting to get or to get rid of. And how this creates this constant, mostly unconscious, holding on to and pushing away like nearly constantly happening and it's happening because we're not seeing clearly we're not knowing clearly how things truly are that all things including other people all the situations and ourselves are impermanent always changing and because of their constantly changing nature they're unreliable unsatisfactory dukkha everything being constantly changing and unreliable includes us we and all things are conditioned by everything else we are not separate permanent isolated from anything or anyone else. We are all influenced and changing all the time. There's a beautiful teacher, um, 
uh, I've put her book in, in our resource document um, called An Unentangled Knowing, which is a collection of her Dharma teachings. Upasaka Ki Nanayan is her name. And um, she was considered to be one of the foremost Dharma teachers, um, foremost female Dharma teacher um, in the 20th century in Thailand. She was born in 1901 to a Chinese merchant family. And uh, her mother was quite religious and, and taught her a lot of Buddhist chanting and, and um, the basics of practice and um, even the precepts from a very early age, which we've talked about here at the beginning of our retreat. But at a very young age, she decided, well, she actually ran away from home for a little while, I think she was like six or something, um, when she saw the suffering that her mother was experiencing giving birth and, and her mother's life um, at that time, early 1900s, um, being this householder, and she decided very young that she did not want to be a wife and mother. Uh, and so she really devoted herself in her teen years to studying the Dhamma. She actually taught her father and then um, eventually left home after working and, and such and lived with her aunt and uncle in a very small, very frugal um, hillside um, retreat it ended up being. It, it was actually an abandoned monastery, monastic dwelling, not a monastery. Um, and it grew to become a place, particularly um, a women's practice center, which there wasn't for Buddhist women at that time. It's still flourishing to this day. So this is um, just a short introduction of an extraordinary woman and life and uh, wis wisdom carrier. So she said, um, what I was just saying, she says it this way. The whole reason we're trying to quiet our minds, hearts, body, mind, energy, um, or to practice meditation is nothing other than this. To see the inconstancy, meaning the impermanence, the stress, and the not-selfness, to see that everything is impermanent, unreliable, stressful because it's unreliable, and conditioned, not separate self. She says, we're not practicing simply for the ease and pleasure that come when the mind is still. As we've been talking about, this is very important and it's necessary, but that's not why we're doing it, just for that. We have to observe and evaluate things so as to see them clearly in a way that will allow us to let them go. We're calming our systems so that we can see clearly with penetrating insight in such a way that it will allow us to let go. Let go of the clinging, which is the cause of dukkha. Yes? 
In another place, she says this. If you don't keep on observing and evaluating as part of your practice, <laughs> this is so good, the mind will slip off quickly and easily to travel along with its preoccupations. <laughs> you know, so we, we've, we've calmed down so that we can now brighten up our attention and really attune without adding more tension to our minds and bodies. Yeah, so if we don't keep on observing and evaluating, keeping some energy, then the mind will slip off quickly and easily to travel along with its preoccupations. Yes, indeed. The way it keeps traveling brings you nothing but suffering and stress. Has anyone noticed that? Yes, I see some nods. You don't gain anything good out of it at all. These are her words. The mind simply goes out looking for all kinds of trouble. <laughs> She's nailing it here. Regardless of whether you like things or dislike them, you grasp onto them and turn them into suffering. There's grasping again. So even if it's things we like or don't like, we grasp the same way. And this is our habit of conditioning of mind, and it takes determination, resolve, will, intention, and insight to see the suffering of this and to wisely let go. Uh, last quote from her. To let go of anything you first have to see its drawbacks. If you simply tell yourself to let go, let go, let go, you can't really let go. <laughs> Many of you have heard me say this before, how annoying it is when someone tells you, well, why don't you just let it go? If I could let it go, I would have let it go, but I'm annoyed. You know, like something's already got a hold of you. You're already holding on to something. And when people say, just let it go. It's like, what do you mean? I don't understand. To let go, we need to see how we're holding on. When we see that we're actively holding on, letting go can happen. Just to tell ourselves, let go, let go, let go. It's not going to work. You have to see the drawbacks of the, this is uh, Upasaka speaking again, you have to see the drawbacks of the things you're holding on to and then you'll let go automatically. As when you grab hold of fire and realize how hot it is, you will automatically let go and never dare touch it again. See, this is how letting go really happens, is by seeing the pain of the holding on. What are we holding on to? What story of ourselves and how we want to be and how we want to be seen and how we want others to be? You know, what is it we're holding on to? That's when we can see the pain of that, the letting go happens. So this is one of the 
paramis, the perfections, the mm, yeah, how there's no better way to say it than the perfections of renunciation. Um, to to see that you know what what are we holding on to that's no longer serving us and our world? What greed? What hatred? What delusion? And until we really feel and know and deeply understand the pain of the attachment, we won't really let go. So I'm going to say a little bit about the other aspect of our our uh, New Year's celebration that we're going to be doing in a few minutes. So one aspect is... Um, you may have guessed letting go something um, that we're gonna I'll introduce it more in a few moments but uh, we'll take time to reflect on what is it that I can really see as painful that I'm holding on to that I would like to let go of and then the other part of um, the teaching and the practice tonight is resolve or resolution if you're wanting to put the new year spin on it resolve is another one of the paramis it's called aditana determination or resolve self-determination decision resolve and there's actually something called aditana dhamma which is four aspects of the path that this is very interesting to me that that uh, need an aspect of will to them. We usually don't talk about will in the Dharma because it, it's like creating a self, right? You know, self-willed and self... Our, our culture puts so much into our victorious will, conquering things. But uh, to look at what is skillful here in determination, um, there's these four very important parts of the path that require will to be developed, to find these things, to cultivate them. So the first of these is discernment. It's not about like you're just a smart person. Or, or not, you either see clearly or not. You have to have some will, first of all, to believe that it's possible to awaken. There's, um, there's a decision that's made there, uh, uh, that you see that that's possible from the Buddha's life, Siddhartha Gautama, and and that it's possible for you. The other important part of discernment that is related to will is uh, asking the right questions related to the Four Noble Truths. Seeing, understanding, there is suffering here. And uh, you know, inquiring, looking more deeply, where does the cause, what is being held on to here, and what is the way to its release, 
our whole Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path, it doesn't happen. It doesn't just happen. We, we bring it into, into fruition. This, this is maybe an unpopular thing to say, and so I'm going to quote <laughs> Tanisaro Bhikkhu, who says that this is very important and maybe unpopular. Tanisaro Bhikkhu says, The Buddha never talked about Buddha nature. The idea that somehow our inherent nature is going to lead us to awakening. We do have freedom, though, the freedom to choose kind of a common little thing Buddha nature We've got Buddha nature and there are aspects of human humanity that uh, do have this inherent capacity that we cultivate but um, awakening is not is there is an aspect of will here, of determination, aditana, resolve to be on the path, to choose virtue, ethics, morality, generosity, um, wise speech, wise action, the whole path. This takes energy, will, practice. We, we don't just rely on, oh, it's Buddha nature, I'm going to awaken at some point. All right. Hmm. So we're going to, in a few minutes, um, we'll just keep recording for a moment. So in a few minutes, we're going to have um, a short, short break and then gather here for our, our New Year's ritual. So we want these two small pieces of paper. Mine's like about that big. Uh, something to write with and um, a candle if you can or um, something to light one of them and a dish to put it in so it will be safe okay so we're all going to come back with these things and then we're going to um, really take these teachings into our hearts and our intentions of what it is we want to let go of that's no longer serving us and what it is we want to really bring strong resolve, determination, not just like a light New Year's Eve wish, but strong determination uh, that will guide us through the rest of this year, the rest of this journey of awakening. Thank you. So uh, we'll turn that on. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.